So um, I want to kind of let you guys know, um, you know if, you, if, you can do, if you can do a little bit of math, you know, there are 10 commandments, 10 guidelines. This is the 11th week of the series. Uh, <laughs> we're not inventing any new commandments. Um, but what, what, uh, what we're going to do over the next uh, today and, and next week is uh, unpack a couple things that have uh, been, been laid on my heart and my mind over the past couple weeks. And so um, about three or four weeks ago, I, I, I just got this nagging sense that there was, that there was a, another topic or another aspect of this that, that we needed to address. And, and I'm going to try and describe what exactly it is and where it came from and then, and then try to unpack it. And, and it's simply this, like, you know, we, we talked over and over again that, that the narrative um, is very important, like where God's people are at in their journey. And uh, we, we said very clearly, tried to make it very clear that, like, look, these guidelines, these 10 guidelines, these 10 instructions, they're given after God sets his people free. He's, he's released them from oppression, from bondage, from slavery. And then he brings them to Mount Sinai and they receive these instructions. And, and we then spent 10 weeks just talking about it. And we tried to always come back to that. Listen, remember, remember the freedom came first. Remember, remember there was a release, right? Um, but at the same time, we spent 10 weeks uh, essentially saying, listen, if you want to have a great life, live by these guidelines. If you want to experience something amazing, we believe that these 10 guidelines are, are invitations to have a, an amazing life. But about three or four weeks ago, what started to just kind of you know, be spoken into my mind and in my heart was, listen, um, there's still people in Egypt in, in this room. And, and, as, and as helpful as it is for, for me to say and for us to say over and over again, listen, listen, take this invitation, live this way, honor everybody, you know, be generous, on and on and on, that I was like, we need to go back. We need to go back and we need to kind of speak about being, um, what, what it means to be in bondage and, and, and what God has to say about it, Right? In other words, like we, we've talked for 10 weeks about things that you should do. And today, uh, I want to talk about what has been done. So I'm, I'm speaking uh, to a couple different populations, I think, of, of people. And, and uh, I'm just going to uh, reread the, the scripture that, that Rory read for us out of uh, Exodus 16. This actually happens before the giving of the 10 instructions uh, the ten guidelines, but it's after the release, after the after the, the people are set free, and it says again, the whole Israelite community they set out from Elam, and they came to the Sin Desert, uh, which is located between Elam and Sinai, and they set out on the fifteenth day of the second month after they had left the land of Egypt. Again, miraculous intervention by God to set them free, and then I love it because it's so human. The whole Israelite community did what? They complained. Let me just unpack this, right? Whole nation enslaved, no hope, oppressed by the most powerful regime in the area at the time. They're miraculously set free. And before they even get a little bit away from it, they're complaining. Like, the Israelites said to Moses and Aaron, who their leaders, listen, they say, oh, how we wish that the Lord had just put us to death in, while we were still in the land of Egypt. 
There, we could sit by the pots cooking meat and eat our fill of bread. Now, they're in the desert. The desert's not a comfortable place. Food's probably scarce. Water's probably scarce. But let me suggest to you that maybe they're misremembering a little bit of what Egypt was. Oh, don't you remember when we were back in Egypt and it was just like this big old like barbecue? And I'm like, I don't think you guys are quite remembering that right. Instead, they said, you've brought us out into this desert to starve this whole assembly to death. So listen, I think I'm talking to two populations today, two groups of people. One is uh, you've been walking with God a little bit, and yet you would say, listen, there's areas of my life where I've gone back to Egypt. There's areas of, li- of my life that I've, I've said, you know what, Egypt was kind of comfortable. I-, I know God set me free, but actually... Man, I remember that time when I, when I just got to kind of just like be who I wanted to be and, and wasn't that great. And so if you were, and I were being honest, you would say, listen, there's areas in my life where I have walked back into this place that God set me free from, okay? That's one group of people. The other group of people that I think, broadly speaking, that I'm speaking to today is, uh, is just people who would say, listen, I've never walked out of Egypt. I've never left. And, and to do that, I just want to um, sit with this big metaphor of, of um, bondage, oppression, slavery. Uh, a year or two ago, um, watched the movie 12 Years a Slave. And, and I know you guys in movies, so I'm not even going to ask if you've seen it. I'm just going to tell you I did, and you should. Uh, this movie was extremely powerful and excruciatingly painful to watch. And it tells a story of an African-American man in the 1800s who is essentially captured in the north, in the northeast, by people who are hunting escaped slaves. And they, um, they capture him, and then they, over and over, they are saying, you're, you're an escaped slave named, you know, and they have this name, and he's like, no, it's not my name. It's based on a true story, by the way. And they're like, no, no, you're this slave. And he's like, no, I'm not. And it basically, they capture him, take him down to the deep south, and he spends 12 years, 12 years in, in slavery, even though he was a freed slave living in the Northeast. And it is, uh, just, it is just painful and enlightening uh, to watch at the same time. And, and so I was thinking about that uh, you know, due to this week and just talking about it. And if I could just kind of, uh, using some of the movie, but also just some of, of what we would say is common sense, I want to say, listen, uh, this is what slavery looks like, okay? The first thing that slavery and oppression and bondage really does to you is it impacts your activities. It literally says you're going to do these things, whether you have, whether you have a choice or not. You're going to, these are the behaviors going to, you're going to do, you know? You're going to get up and you're going to go work in the field no matter what your education, no matter who, what God has got. You're going to go do this thing. And you have little to no, you know, little, no resistance to it. It tells you the things you'll do. It tells you the things you do not get to do. The second thing that slavery just does in a very real way is um, impacts your identity. And there's this powerful scene where they have captured... Uh, captured the, the, the man, and, and they, they're beating him. And, and I, can't, I could not show any of this to you guys because it's just too much, all right? And they keep beating him, and they say, your name is Pratt. Your name is Pratt. Your name is, that's the name of the escaped slave. 
And he said, that's not who I am. And over and over again, they said, no, your name is, what's your name? What's your name? What's your name? And so what slavery and bondage can do to us, the same sort of uh, spiritual way, an emotional way, is literally changes your identity. Who are you? Who are you? Are you a human being fully functioning? Or are you a child of God? Or uh, are there names that are whispered to you and identities that are whispered to you that, that somehow you know aren't true and yet you become powerless to fight against? The third thing that uh, bondage can do is, is impacts and controls your destiny. So much so that you begin to lose hope that things will ever be different. And it can change your, as your identity changes, your sense of destiny changes, your, your whole mindset can change. And so when, when we start talking about the reality of like, uh, what slavery might have looked like and felt like for the Israelites and for God's people, I would, I would actually listen to this. I would say, listen, um, emotional and spiritual slavery is still alive and well in the world today because I believe there are people in this community and almost every one of us probably struggles at some level with, listen, I keep going back to Egypt in this area of my life and then some of us will say, I've never left. And my activities, therefore, are kind of prescribed for me, even though when I'm feeling logical and in my right mind, I'd say, I'd never do that thing. And yet there are times that we find ourselves doing that thing. Anyone know what I'm talking about yet? In some other churches, we'd say, am I preaching yet? And you would say, listen, uh, I know who I am. And yet there's a voice that, that shouts when we're quiet enough that says, no, 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 no. You're not that thing. You're, you're an addict. You, you're full of shame. You're, 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 a, um, you're just, nobody loves you. You're unlovable. And then uh, we would say, listen, uh, when it gets bad enough, they say, this is as good as it's gonna get. And I guess this is who I am. So that's one of the reasons why uh, I, I wanted to go back and just speak to you guys. Because, and listen, I, I think that's really, that, that, that phrase I used earlier about saying, I just spent 10 weeks. We just spent 10 weeks talking about things that you can do to embrace this life that God has for you. But before you do that, I want to remind you of what God has done. I want to remind you of what God has done. In other words, I would just say, I want to remind you that you are not in Egypt anymore, even though it might feel that. So the questions, uh, just before we leave this, because I think it's just important that, that we all be honest. I don't believe anything changes until we can get honest. So here's the first question. Is there anything, what or who, is controlling and determining your behavior? Is there anything that you would just say, listen, when I, if I was honest with you, Eric, there are things that I'm doing behaviors that are habits that I'm cultivating that in my right mind I know I shouldn't and yet I can't stop is it is it alcohol is it a drug it is is it pornography is it rage is it anger is it codependency some of the things are big things scary things some of them are, are tiny things but they're things nonetheless who or what is controlling your behavior 
who or what uh, is determining your identity? Where are you deriving, symbolically, where are you deriving your name from? You know, as people of faith, we would say our, our identity is determined by God and we're, we're children of God and that is our deepest identity. But yet we live in a culture that, listen, they're gonna, it's going to scream another identity at you every chance it gets. Anybody? So who or what is, is controlling and determining your identity and therefore also who or what is, is controlling or determining your destiny? What are you capable of becoming? Because if you're here and either you've never left Egypt or, or, or Egypt has become such a reality and you're going back so many times and you've misremembered what it was like, but you go back there, there, there there'll become a time when you're like, this is as, I guess this is as good as it gets. And what I'm here to remind you today of a, of a very simple truth, and that is simply this. God has set you free. And what I want to do uh, is show you how. So we're going to get a little bit Bible-y. I just invented that word. We're going to get a little Bible-y today. Because I think it's just, it's helpful for me to know that there's something that's just like, it doesn't matter what I feel, doesn't matter what I feel, it's in this book, it's in this book, this Bible, and I can say, okay, well, I might feel certain ways sometimes, but there's, a, there's an objectivity out there that I can lean on, okay? Is that cool? Can we do that? Okay, so um, we're going to take a look at, uh, at a passage uh, from a book um, the book of Romans, it's a letter uh, written, it's one of the, probably the most intense, beautiful lay, uh, sort of a layout of, of an argument about God's faithfulness and what he's up to in the world by an early church leader, a guy named Paul. And, and we're gonna look at Romans chapter five and just a few verses, and then I'm gonna tell you kind of what is going on in, in this. And it's, uh, man, I, I got pretty geeked out about it, so get ready. Okay, I feel like you guys are skeptical, but I'm gonna go on. All right, so listen, so Romans 5, Paul's laying out this huge, huge argument about what God's been up to through Jesus and, and where God's people, the Jews, fit into all this. And he says in verse 12, he says, so in the same way, in the same way that sin entered the world through one person and death came through sin, so death spread to all human beings with the result that all sinned. Okay, Oof, that's a lot. I'm going to tell you what's going on in this verse, okay? There's a big story here. There's a big story that Paul's talking about. Um, listen, as a, as a people of faith, as a, as, a, as a Christian church, we believe that it's part of our foundation story. We talked about it last week, that God uh, created humanity in his image, and in the first few pages of the Bible, we screwed it all up. And we talked about this, this instance in the Bible in Genesis 3, where God has put man and woman, Adam and Eve, in, in a garden. And he says, listen, I'll, I'll take care of everything for you. You got food. You got purpose. You got security. You're all taken care of. You don't need to worry. God says what? Really? Remind? Remember? There's, there's, just, there's just one little thing you can't do. There's a tree in the middle of the garden. Tree of good, uh, the knowledge of good and evil. Uh, just don't eat from that tree. And last week, you know, I said... Uh, uh, I just kind of, it's not, nothing says it's an apple, but because I like apples, this is what we're using today. What kind of apple? For the 
Honeycrisp apple, absolutely. So, so there's fruit on this tree and then we're told that there's a serpent. The serpent comes up and talks to Eve, the woman. He says, listen, God doesn't want you to have that fruit because then you'll come, become like him. And then the text says, and we were talking about in terms of coveting, that the woman looks at the fruit of the tree and she begins to desire it and covet it. And God has already told Adam and Eve, listen, I'm gonna take care of everything. You don't need any food. You don't need, you got purpose, security, and food. And yet, there's something about the fruit that she just can't take her eyes off of. And then she eats some, she gives them to the man. And what Paul's talking about is that somehow, metaphysically, when Adam and Eve take that fruit we talked about it in, the, in terms of a lack of trust. God said, I'm going to take care of everything. And in that moment, there's like, I don't know if I can trust God. And man, that fruit looks so good. And I know he said he'd take care of it, but can I really trust that, he'll, that this fruit's not better than the food he's given us? Maybe this is better than like green, be green beans and Brussels sprouts. And so she takes the fruit and eats it. And in that moment, there's a brokenness and a sickness that enters the world. And we all inherited it. And so I would say, listen, I don't think it's a great surprise for me to talk to everybody here and say, listen, do you get that you're, you're not perfect? I think all of us would say, listen, yeah, I'm not perfect. I do things, I get mad. You know, I react sometimes I don't, when I don't want to react that way. That's, what Paul's, that's basically what Paul's saying. We've inherited a sickness because of Adam and Eve. And I don't know all the how the DNA, the spiritual DNA works, but that's just the realities Paul's saying. And in our slavery metaphor, what I would say is that what Paul's saying is like, we're all at that point captives. We are incapable of doing all the good that we can do. Why? Because um, our spiritual, our, our four uh, forebearers, our ancestors failed to what? Trust God. So, um, so uh, this is the way I kind of uh, unpacked a little statement, uh, just the idea of like trusting God because what's at stake in the garden are, are simply uh, some questions that I asked. Can you trust God? Absolutely. Can you trust God all the way for everything? Because God told Adam and Eve, I've got it all. And at some point, the trust broke down. And they could not trust God all the way, absolutely, for everything. Everybody say all the way. Everybody say absolutely. Everybody say for everything. All right. So then Paul goes on. And he says, listen, there was sin in the world, uh, but there was no law. There was no instruction. That's the ten the 10 commandments, the 10 guidelines. And then he said, it wasn't taken into account until the law came. Then he says, but death ruled from Adam until Moses, even over those who didn't sin in the same way that Adam did. So again, he's just saying, listen, we all somehow got that DNA. We got that brokenness. We got that sickness. But then Paul says these magical words. He says, Adam was a type of the one who was coming. So Adam, so again, Paul says, listen, we all got this sickness. Adam 
could not trust God absolutely. Ah, but Adam was a type of somebody who was coming later. Anybody know who the coming was? Jesus, a Sunday school answer? Jesus! So, what I want to do is, <laughs> the sin of Adam and Eve, the brokenness of Adam and Eve, they could not trust God absolutely all the way for everything. And the reason we're free is because Jesus can. The very thing that Adam and Eve could not do, Jesus, the Messiah, did. And when he did that, guess what? That DNA that we were living in and is in us from Adam and Eve, now Jesus says, okay, guess what? Bam! You got a new DNA with you because I'm your ancestor too, and I did what Adam and Eve could not do. And you know that there's a moment that you can see that exact thing happen in the, in the Bible. There's a moment that Jesus reverses Adam and Eve's mistake. Would you like to see the moment? Everybody say yes, because otherwise there's no more sermon. Which you guys might be awesome. Let's get out of here. So what was the, what was the mistake of Adam and Eve? They could not trust God absolutely all the way for everything. So here we are. There's a story that's recorded in three of the Gospels, three of these good news stories of Jesus. It's towards the end of his life. Jesus knows at this point that if he uh, continues the path that he's on, he is going to be uh, arrested, tortured, and probably killed. And he knows that's his mission. He knows with absolute clarity that that's what awaits him if nothing changes. He has made too many people angry. <sighs> um, so at the end of his life, um, he's in Jerusalem. And we're gonna look at a passage from Matthew 26. Um, and it's recorded other in, in Mark and Luke as well. But this is the way Matthew tells the story. Matthew 26, starting in verse 36. Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to the disciples, stay here while I go and pray over there. And then he took Peter and Zebedee's sons, James and John, those are his closest friends. And he began to feel sad and anxious. Now, when I get to feel sad and anxious, that's normally when I start to, when I start to stop trusting God. Anxious, will you provide? Sad, God, would you, I need some comfort. And then he actually says, Jesus says to, to, to James and John and Peter, I am very sad. It's as if I'm dying. And please understand me, folks. This is not Jesus just going, I'm sad and it feels like I'm dying. Jesus is in anguish, shuddering, shaking, full of anxiety and doubt. And then he says, stay here, keep alert with me. Then the text says, he went a short distance farther and fell on his faith, face and prayed, my father, if it's possible, take this cup of suffering away from me. However, not what I want, but what you want. This is Jesus's moment of, will you trust God? Because if you're sad and you're anxious, what are you gonna do? You're gonna reach out and take the apple. If you cannot trust God to carry you through the anxiety and carry you through the sadness, you'll reach out, you'll grab the, the, the apple, and you'll fail to trust God. And so Jesus, in a very human moment, says, God, this is going to be so painful. Please take this cup of suffering from me. 
And he says, but not what I want, but what you want. He prays the prayer two more times. And I remember the moment I was reading a, 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 a theology book and the, the, the writer put it this way, and God told Jesus, no. I will not take the cup of suffering from you. Now what would you do in that moment? You'd reach out, you'd take the apple. And because Jesus was the, uh, uh, the son of God and spiritually had so much power, one of the other gospels, Jesus says, listen, I could call angels down here to fight for me if I chose. But you know what that would be? That would be taking the apple. And we're living under this DNA that of everybody who Adam and Eve couldn't trust God absolutely all the way for everything. And Jesus is at this moment. Can Jesus trust God all the way for everything? Absolutely. He knows he's going to be tortured. He knows he's going to experience the most painful death that could ever be imagined. Shameful too. And then, so he prays three more times. And then the moment that everything changes and the moment that we're freed, the moment that we are no longer slaves happens in verse 46. Because Jesus is praying and then he stands up and he's heard no from his father. And he turns to his disciples and he says, get up, let's go. That's the moment when Jesus turns away from the apple. And he says, I know what's coming. I know what these next 10, 12, 30 hours are going to be, and, and I will trust my Father through it, all the way, for everything, absolutely. And that's the moment that our DNA is changed. Because I don't know about you, but I could not do that. I could not think of torture and execution and say, I'm just not strong enough. And that's why I say, this is a reminder of what's been done. Because we can't do that for ourselves. Jesus just did it for us. And now the DNA we live in is a DNA that says, listen, you can grow beyond, you can walk out of Egypt now. Anybody feel like walking out of Egypt? Jesus sets us free right then because he chooses to say, I will trust God. And now all those people that are coming after me, now they're not living with Adam's DNA. They're living with my DNA. Does that sound like good news? Does that sound like, yes, good news? Or like, wow, good news! <laughs> Would someone say the second one? <laughs> but I'm not going to yell, but it sounds like the second one. So listen, listen, um, I, I, I get excited about this because that's kind of who I am. And I need that reminder. Listen, I got, I got a dog named Merlin. Some of you guys have met Merlin. Merlin's amazing. Super well-behaved dog. Super mellow dog. So, so mellow that like, you know, we can have the, the, the side door open out to the driveway, out to the world beyond. And uh, we can somehow, we have to say, sometimes we look at Merlin, we go, Wait. And Merlin, Merlin will just sit in front of the open door. And listen, he's a dog. Like, come on. He wants out that door, right? And he'll just sit. And he'll look at us. And he'll look at the door. And he'll sit there until we say, okay, 
That's the word. Okay. And then Merlin runs through the door. You've been given this freedom. You got to run through the door. The door's open. Jesus did it for you. But some of us have never run through the door and just said, okay, I'll take it. And you're still in Egypt. And this thought came to me just this morning. Listen, some of us, it's real easy to get to feel ashamed when you, when you realize, man, I think I'm still enslaved. But you know what? Just from looking at the history of this, this country, the shame does not reside on the slaves. Do not feel bad because you're in bondage. The shame resides on the one and the people who enslaved you. There is no shame in saying, I am not completely free. There's not. You are a victim of a world that is powerful. All you have to do is look at that open door and say, I'm going through it because there's something magical on the other side.